The Cannabis Conversation. A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry. Welcome to the Cannabis Conversation with Anuj Desai, where we explore the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are helping to shape it. Welcome back. Hope you're all well and had a good summer. I had a very nice break. Missed the pod a bit, but not too much, actually. It was quite nice taking a break. But now back into the swing of things as we head into Christmas. How depressing. All of a sudden, it's Christmas. I've actually been away at a few conferences recently. I was in Zurich for CB Expo a few weeks ago. Ben On, who's the organiser, was my last guest on the show before the summer. Lovely guy and organised a fantastic event. It was great to see some old faces and some new faces too. Switzerland's a really, really interesting country for cannabis. I mean, if you listen to that episode, he kind of went through a bit of the history and, and where they are at the moment. They've got a long history of liberal policy towards cannabis and now running some trail projects in various cities across the country. And as they're Swiss, I've got high levels of confidence that they'll do things by the book and get some good data. So they could well be leading the charge and beat Germany to the punch when it comes to legalization let's see i also managed to get out to icpr in amsterdam Um, icpr is the interdisciplinary conference on psychedelic research this was a really interesting conference it was quite long first day was a business day and then there were three days of the actual conference i only managed to stay for two of them but really very interesting discussions and what struck me was it did feel a bit more grown up than cannabis and maybe that's how it sort of started and it is very much going to remain sort of medical and is not sort of blurred with the recreational debate because I was just really impressed by the nuance and the various different pockets of discussion that were going on just a few examples but you know they were talking about whether therapists should have had the psychedelic experience themselves how important is the psychedelics experience to actual aiding the therapy how important is the therapy that accompanies the taking of the actual drug, integration, all of those things around um, the actual medical application. But what impressed me more was the fact that they weren't afraid to tackle some of the uncomfortable bits around this. So a lot of the hype and the bullshit, the issues with diversity, thinking about indigenous communities and how they use psychedelics. And, and don't get me wrong, it's a young industry, has got it's got its fair share of issues that it needs to deal with but it felt at least they were sort of acknowledging some of those shortcomings and were looking at ways to deal with that and unfortunately i don't really see a huge amount of that in the cannabis industry i still see a lot of kind of forecasts and speculations on how the industry and regulations and laws might change then some bit finger in the air speculation on how big the industry might be but i don't think we're really tackling some of the shortcomings and issues in in the industry like very very high thc products and addiction by some people who you use it chronically cannabis clinics you know are they just backdoor recreational i think there's a few topics we could cover and it's actually sort of stimulated me to think more about topic areas for the show So I'm hoping to bring some more balance and critical thought to the podcast. And of course, I'd welcome any ideas if you guys are up for pitching some ideas. And and if you'd like to be on the show, please do get in touch. 
but yes, those were good conferences. I'd also like to mention an upcoming event that I'll be attending and I'll be doing some fireside chats at. It's uh, the guys at Invest in Odens have organised the Odens Investor Summit. Actually, Odenza, I think, is the right way to pronounce it. It's coming up on the 13th of October. Odenza is a couple of hours away from Copenhagen and is a key hub for medical cannabis production in Europe. Denmark is the second largest exporter of medical cannabis to Germany and has established producers like Aurora, Little Green Farmer, Scroll Medical and Botanical, who are sited in the city of Odenza. Um, but the focus in Odenza is not only on production and cannabis companies. This year's summit will be a mix of biotech and life science company pitches, both Danish and international. So I'll be posting more about that on my LinkedIn page in the coming days. I'd also like to talk about Node Group. Some of you may remember I joined them before the summer. The founders, Jaspeet Growell and Sabrina Ramkellerman, were in London for the month of September. So it was great hanging out with them and sort of developing business plans as we sort of look to expand. And uh, we had a really great UK launch event at the Canadian Embassy. I chaired a panel with Dr. Steve Hadjoff, who is our Chief Medical Officer, but also some guys from NIHR as well, and Paul Baverstock, who uh, runs Caspilla Health. I'm really inspired to be working with such a talented team, and we're actively assisting investment funds with due diligence and life science advisory at the moment, as well as working on putting together some clinical trials for some of our clients. So if you need help with research or if you need due diligence on prospective companies you're looking to invest in please do get in touch Um, we're talking some very interesting people at the moment Uh, once again this episode is sponsored by our very good friends at lumino we are talking a bit about cannabis clinics today and as i've mentioned before lumino have some great experience in recruiting for clinics clinical nurses clinic managers specialist doctors so as always if you need help with hr or recruitment in the cannabis space please do get in touch with them at luminorecruit.com and obviously please do mention my name when you do now on with the show enjoy on today's show we welcome back dr danny gordon after a long time danny wears many hats in the cannabis industry so i'll let her introduce herself in a second but she's also the author of a published book called The CBD Bible and is a general UK medical cannabis celebrity. <laughs> Danny, how are you doing? Good. Hi, Anuj. Thanks for having me back. It's really nice to talk to you again. Yeah, pleasure. It's been a long time. You were one of my first guests, I think, and we did a two-parter. Yeah, that's right. That's Cannabis and Psychosis lecture, didn't we? It was a while ago, but yeah. How are you getting on? Good. Yeah. So since we last chatted, I've had a baby, I've written a second book and I've opened our UK medical clinic. So lots have happened. (laughs) Wow. Keeping yourself busy. That's brilliant. I mean, yeah, becoming a mother is a big enough job anyway, as well as writing a second book. That's crazy stuff. But congratulations. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. And I I was just thinking about well, I guess, you know, as a short introduction, I've been so I've been prescribing cannabis based medicines officially since 2015 in Canada. But before then, really since 2011, when my patients were using them and I wasn't writing their prescriptions, but I was helping them to use them in a better, safer, more effective way. So I was just thinking that I'm actually I've just kind of had my 10 year cannabis medicine prescribing anniversary really in a way (laughs) and a lot has changed since then (laughs) congratulations again (laughs) 
Well, yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, actually, why don't you tell us a bit more about your background for those that don't know? And, you know, so how and why did you get into this space? Yeah, so I'm a, a Canadian medical doctor. I graduated from medical school in the traditional way, and I decided to go into first a family medicine. And then I did another fellowship in integrated medicine in the US, which is basically evidence based natural medicine combined with conventional therapies. And the reason I did that is because I was really interested in chronic disease management but more in an upstream capacity. So helping people before they got really sick, preventative medicine, that sort of thing, and using drugs plus these other tools like botanicals, cannabinoids, mind-body approaches in a really evidence-based fashion. So that's my background. That's why, why I went into it is I had my own health problems. I was a highly stressed perfectionist. When I was younger, I had some issues with my, my kidneys and my bladder. So I was on antibiotics for every day till I was about 13. So that affected my immune system. So, you know, everyone has their own back health story. So that was mine. And then I started my practice and I realized that even though I was doing this integrative strategy, you know, I was giving people drug therapy and teach them how to do mindfulness in my office and all these cool things. But the one thing I wasn't doing officially was cannabis. And all my patients were telling me about cannabis they were using as a medicine. So I got really interested in it and um, started doing some research and did some mentoring with a few people, one of them in the US, uh, Scott Shannon, who was a psychiatrist in Colorado, who was very you know ahead of the time. And then I added it to my practice officially in 2015. And I really haven't looked back since, really. It's just such a great tool for for patients with chronic disease and both mental and physical conditions, it can be very helpful. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. And, and obviously the personal link is huge, but you know, we've been talking about this for a few years now. Actually it'd be really great to kind of get your sort of update on how you've seen things develop. Yeah. I mean, you know, speaking to that, actually, do you feel like the CBD bubble has burst and, and what, what do you think of that kind of industry, if you like? Yeah. I think so. I mean, even, you know, the book that I wrote, which is really about medical cannabis, at the time when the publishers released it, I was with a major publisher and they were afraid to call it the medical cannabis Bible because CBD was the thing. And I still think in the in the retrospect, it was probably a mistake because everyone who doesn't know me sort of thinks I, I just wrote a book about CBD, which of course is not the case. It's about all my years of experience with medical cannabis. But I think Back even a few years ago, CBD was the next thing. You know, we in the past, we've had turmeric, we've had ginkgo, we've had other things, and CBD was a thing. And, and now people are realizing it's not so straightforward. CBD is, is amazing for so many things, but it's just one ingredient in the cannabis plant. So now, you know, w- with novel foods and a lot of the really good smaller companies here in the UK, for example, that were using full spectrum hemp CBD, they've kind of gone out of business. So the industry is not as as varied as it was, but you know, there's been, I guess, good parts too, more regulation, that sort of thing. But I think now people are realizing they just can't take CBD as a panacea for, for their life. You know, like, like we were hearing some of the companies kind of claim a few years ago. And it's just another really good tool that we have in the armamentarium for, for health and well-being. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I guess, you know, the difficulties of sort of seeing efficacy and supplements in general is a kind of Wild West sort of poorly regulated space. I feel, you know, I saw a lot of companies with quite high doses in their, well, allegedly high doses in their bottles of, you know, 3,000, 6,000 milligrams. I'm not sure how effective any of those are, though. (laughs) I don't know if you've got any insight on that. 
You know, it really depends. It depends on the person. It depends what they're trying to treat. Of course, at the really high doses, that's really a medicinal product. At that stage, really, it's it's good to be doing it under the guidance of a of a doctor or at least a, a clinician who's familiar with cannabinoids. In, in my opinion, because you know, at those really high doses, those are really high doses. Usually, I mean, this very well tolerated stuff, but that's where you can potentially you know get some get some side effects or some medication interactions in some cases that are clinically significant, although they still are pretty few. But the other thing is with those high, high doses, most of those companies were actually using CBD isolate, which we know from the epilepsy research in children that actually CBD isolate, it takes much higher doses to do the same job as a full spectrum high CBD oil. And the kids get more side effects and they get more liver enzyme abnormalities. So, you know, if you translate that, obviously that's a really small uh, specific population, but, you know, it is informing us somewhat of this trend that I've seen clinically for years that CBD isolate just doesn't work as well as the full plant extracts. Yeah. And, you know, the jury's still out on the entourage effects, I suppose, but that does kind of lend to that story, doesn't it? In terms of maybe the other parts are doing, they're all sort of supporting each other in some way. Yeah, I think certainly it's the case when you speak to patients, they will tell you, you know, you if you switch products, for example, if they run out of a product and they switch to another product that's the same percentage of CBD and THC, but it's from a different strain, then sometimes they get a different effect. So certainly, you know, there's a lot of preclinical evidence to back this up and some preliminary, you know, clinical evidence in a really rigorous way, but a lot of real world evidence, certainly in humans to back this theory up as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe we talk a little bit about your kind of work in the clinics. And, you know, you've got huge amounts of experience, but you sort of, I guess you're doing your own thing now. What are maybe some of the other conditions that you're seeing? Obviously, pain is the usual one that everyone talks about. Maybe you could talk about some of the other conditions that you're seeing from your patients. Yeah, absolutely. So I opened my UK practice. I mean, one of the reasons was because in the UK, you know, market, I guess you would say currently, there's just cannabis clinics that just do cannabis. And that's never how I practiced. Cannabis for me is a great tool I have in my integrative medicine practice. So we're, yeah, we're an integrative medicine clinic here in the UK. And and we do things quite differently. So I see a lot of patients that have quite complex multi-diagnostic conditions, meaning they have a diagnosis of more than one thing. So we see a lot of patients with mental health concerns in our clinic and with chronic fatigue spectrum illnesses and women's health concerns. So those three buckets are not as well known about, but certainly cannabinoids can be very effective in these clusters when it's done properly. And you really have to, this is where more of the art comes in because the wrong type of product, the wrong dose can make someone feel more fatigued or worse in mood or worse in anxiety. I was going to say, yeah. You know, or even worse in sleep. So it's more being really uh, specific about how we use these in combination with, with other therapeutics. And that includes drugs and it also includes non-drug approaches that have evidence. Yeah. And we'll come on to that stuff in a second. That's really interesting that, yeah, chronic fatigue, you wouldn't naturally think that cannabis is, is a help because it tends to sort of sedate and and relax but yeah, yeah that's brilliant that, that you're finding a way to help those people well cool I and mean, let's talk and this is kind of central to your philosophy and your practice and also mine as well so I mean, the general topic of the show is going to be holistic health and cannabis and as you very rightly point out and I, I totally agree with this is the idea of a cannabis clinic just doesn't make sense to me it's like a single drug for you know yeah it just feels a bit strange so yeah maybe you can speak to the wider sort of holistic health type approach and and how cannabis might fit into that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of my patients have tried a lot of single approaches for years. Often, most of the time, actually, I get the kinds of patients who are very complex. They've tried every drug under the sun. 
But they've also tried other things too. Like a lot of my patients are actually wellness professionals themselves. They're, you know, professional level meditators and yoga teachers and, you know, mental health professionals. So they're using these tools already, but sometimes they're having trouble getting over a hump or they have a secondary condition like chronic pain that's preventing these other things from, from helping them as much as they would like. So cannabis can be a fantastic tool in terms of helping people with pain, a combination of pain and anxiety or a combination of, you know, complex PTSD and, and anxiety. And, you know, how we want to use cannabis oftentimes is as a tool to help people do the other things that are really good for them too. So for example, if you're not able to wind down your nervous system enough to meditate because you have anxiety, and that anxiety is often secondary to a medical condition, maybe you're going through cancer, for example, maybe you have, you know, you have a chronic pain condition that's ramping up the nervous system, you know, the brain circuitry, it's really hard to sit and meditate. So oftentimes, people who want to use those other approaches, we get them a dose of their medical cannabis, and then we teach them how to do a short practice on top of that. And then you couple these things together, which is quite effective. Another way I use it is with treatment resistant insomnia. When people have tried all sleeping pills, they want to try to come off them. So we can combine cannabinoids with other actually natural supplements, sleeping supplements, basically. Some of them are prescription like melatonin, but some of them are not. And it's just using the right botanicals in the right combination with the cannabis to help them get to sleep and stay asleep. And then combining that with something like a sleep hygiene program and meditation before sleep. And so these are the kind of programs we we work with people on. And then essentially, very essentially, we have to measure if these things are working. So that's where the evidence base comes in. So we we're measuring things like their mood, their energy level, their mental clarity, their sense of calm, their sleep, their pain level as we go through the treatment to see what's working and, and what's not working. Because the other side of the coin is, of course, integrated medicine and holistic medicine is so overwhelming to people that people end up doing, trying to, quote unquote, do everything. And then they end up so overwhelmed that they end up doing, they can't sustain any of it. And they just get so confused. It's, it's like this, well, I call it well-being confusion, where you've just done so many things. You've tried so many things in various combinations, and you just don't know what the heck is has worked and what hasn't. So it's basically my approach is taking a holistic integrated medicine approach and doing it in a really evidence-based data-driven fashion so people can get clarity. Yeah, there's so much there. So maybe let's quickly talk about the kind of non-medical interventions, if that's the right way to describe it. So I'm, I'm talking about the things where you're not taking a drug or a supplement, you know, things like, I guess, exercise and yeah. how important is that as part of the, the regimen in terms of the way you're looking at this? Yeah, you know, it's really important. And how, again, how I approach it is we tackle usually a few of these fears at a time because, you know, sometimes people go to a holistic provider or a naturopath and they get this huge all-encompassing program. Like they're supposed to be, you know, running for half an hour a day, meditating for a half an hour, changing everything in their diet at once. That just doesn't work. People get so overwhelmed. People already are fatigued and overwhelmed. That's why they're coming to see someone professionally. So what my strategy is, is we try to target a few of those things or even one of those things at a time. So for example, if someone's really keen on a mind-body practice or they already have one and they want to optimize that, then I would use that a lot of times in combination in my practice with a cannabinoid medicine. Or if they are already at the stage of change where they're thinking about changing their diet, they're motivated, but they don't know what is the best dietary change to do first, then we would start there. And even within dietary change, we might start by 
doing something really simple like cutting out caffeine or taking an alcohol holiday or if they're if they're keen and the problem that they have is bad enough and they've tried a lot of other things we might try something like a ketogenic light diet where you basically go very low on the carbohydrates and see if that helps and you cut out refined carbohydrates you cut out the sugar you go really high on the healthy fats and that's a really difficult diet to stick to but we might start there and really focus there. Again, usually in addition with a medication, a cannabinoid or something else that's kind of giving them a quick win. So that generally is, is the approach that I take that, that works quite well and avoids this overwhelm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I've, I actually went to a nutritionist recently and she was fantastic, but the amount of changes that I needed to make was quite significant. And that is quite daunting because ultimately, as you say, we live busy lives. And if you're not able to do all of them, you feel like, oh, I'm not doing the right things and it can almost be a bit counterproductive right so this sort of iterative yeah demotivating depressing yeah totally already feeling low they're feeling and i think part of the problem is they're already feeling unempowered and disempowered and then they go and they think oh this is going to be different and then oh gosh they feel like it's the same thing because now i i feel like i'm unempowered again yeah so building it up it sounds like a good thing and just to go back to kind of the relevance to cannabis it's very interesting what you said that almost the, the cannabinoids can aid you to put you in a better state to receive the other parts of the protocol or whatever, however you want to describe it that you're kind of advocating. Is that is that right? That's right. That's what I find a lot of the times. And, you know, because cannabis is not a cure for any one symptom or condition, but it can be so effective for people, especially people who have tried so many medications. And it has such a good side effect profile for most people that you get them a quick win and then you can do the other stuff because most of my patients, they want to do things like CBT. They want to do things like, you know, going through whatever therapies they have to go on on their journey. But if they're just stuck in fight or flight and overwhelm and they're so fatigued, they don't have the energy to do any of those things, then it's hard to get started. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what goes to the heart of a lot of the work that you're doing is, is personalized medicine, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and is this is an impossibly large question, but just in a brief overview, are you seeing that people are very different, basically? <laughs> I assume the answer is yes. Yeah, you know, people are very different, but there's certainly themes. So one of the projects, you know, I've been working on for two years, which I'm finally about to to be ready to share is, is this idea of this platform and app, a free app that people can use to track all the things that they're doing to figure out what's helping them or not, because people are so different. So for example, I have patients who, I have a few patients who can stick to a ketogenic diet really well. And I don't know how they do it, to be honest, it's very hard, but they do it and they feel great. And it's really alleviated a lot of their symptoms. But I have other patients who have a really hard time with any diet change and they have the same condition, they have a similar psychological profile. So yeah, you know, people are so different. And that's the whole beauty of personalized medicine is you start with basic tenets. We start with, okay, you know, we think this person will be best with this. Let's try it out and see, and then let's test and see what comes back so we can we can know if this is working or not, rather than going down the same path for an entire year and never really knowing if you're getting anywhere or spending thousands in supplements and then not knowing if they really make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I guess one of the things that it's a private clinic, I assume, your, your clinic. So obviously it's great, but obviously this is resource restricted to those that can afford it. Do you see a kind of longer term way that we can widen access to this type of healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big believer in self-care and bridging the gap. You know, there's medicine and that there's self-care, but actually there's a big gray zone in between that. 
So a lot of the things that I do with patients in clinic, people, if they knew how to do it, could do it on their own and try it. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've been working on this, this free platform, this well-being platform. We call it the resilience platform for the last two years is because even if people can't come to see me in clinic, they can take an assessment, it's all free, and then they can get their plan and they can start trying these things on their own. Because I think that's where medicine's going, actually. I think putting the control and the data back into the patient's hands, people are smart. If you give them a system, you show them how to use it, they can do it. And I think speaking back to you know the cost issue, even patients who might be using the NHS who are not getting what they need from their GP, because NHS GPs are just not able to give people this type of care. If they could do some of this on their own and bring the results back in a really data-driven way to their GP, like a printout, and it's free and accessible, I think that would actually potentially revolutionize chronic disease management in the NHS and save the system a ton of money, which is unfortunately what it comes down to a lot of times. is Yeah, money. completely. Yeah. I guess it needs a bit of foresight, really. And I don't know the systems well enough, but knowing enough people that work within the, the beast of the NHS that it can be quite difficult. But, you know, actually last night I met a very interesting company who were looking at sort of the whole incentivization. Yeah tracking aspect of of healthcare and looking after yourself almost like a gamification of it so that you can kind of monitor in and there is a so i mean they'll just incentivize you to keep on with it and you know i mean a wonderful utopian ideal is that you get a kind of health assessment so that you know what you need to do and then you, you kind of have this structure that keeps you motivated to, to stick to it because half the time that's it right you know yeah. it's hard to get ourselves motivated to stick with these things you know I think an easy way, I mean, this is something that, you know, that I've that done in, in our in our thing. But one of the ways is you just help people to see the changes that occurring, because what can happen when I see a patient and we do a dietary change is month one, they might have a 5% change. Even with cannabis, sometimes it's slow. Usually it's pretty quick, but sometimes it's slow. And then they month two, they have a, I don't know, a 7% change. So if you're not seeing these increments of change, and you're not tracking them then it's really demotivating because you're like, well, do I really feel that much better? It's costing me this much amount of money, this much amount of time. So I think is even giving people a way that they can, something that's free and accessible that they can track how they're feeling would help with motivation. And that's what I find with my patients. And a lot of times it's hard because people don't really know how they feel. Sometimes people come to me and they just say, I just feel really bad. They, It's hard to break down. Is it their mood? Is it their mental clarity and their focus? Is it their energy is it their sense of kind of being calm in their body and not having this anxious kind of worry running in the background it's helping people break down those different things and I think this is all possible in the self-care capacity so for me I think it's all about empowering people to be able to break down how they're feeling then track how they're feeling see how things are improving so they can keep doing the things that are working for them yeah and what are the typical metrics that you're looking at in terms of how you evaluate improvements like is it sleep or mood but mood is such a a wide term how do you kind of look at that sort of stuff yeah it's a really good question so there's different ways to look at mood in a clinical way we look at mood with what's called validated rating tools so things that measure depression scores or anxiety scores that sort of thing but what i was finding is that patients don't want to do those scores all the time they don't do those scores and relate to them they don't do them on a daily basis. So for the platform I've created is, and my, my husband and I have coded, he's coded it all. So it's it's something we're just launching in beta form, but it's something we use ourselves. So we just track, people rate their mood from one to 10. They rate their energy level from one to 10. 
they rate their mental clarity and focus from one to 10 and they rate their sense of calm or basically anxiety level from one to 10 and they do it every day. And then over time they can see against their own values if they've improved or not. So it's basically matching up the things that they're tracking against their own scores. So it's not going to be the same, you know, validation as using one of these clinical scores, but people will actually do it. And it's it's really about having a tool that people can take control of themselves. And at the end of the day, people just want to know if they're going to, if they're getting better or they're not getting better. Yeah. So I'm, we're really trying to focus on tracking mental well-being, the domain of mental well-being. There's so many other things we could track, but the reason we're focused on that is because even my patients who have terminal cancer or they have a terrible chronic pain condition that biologically is never going to improve, their back is going to keep getting worse. We can improve that person's mental well-being. We can improve their quality of life. We can improve their sense of joy and happiness. We can improve their relationships. That is is what we can always do. So it's a really it's a really positive message for people, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. Good to hear. And as we sort of come to the end and to bring it back to cannabis, actually, what are you kind of seeing around the sort of form factors of the types of ways that you can prescribe cannabinoids effectively? So is it flour? Is it oils? Is it topicals? Yeah, so I do a combination of of form factors with most of my patients. We do kind of an oil for a longer acting form and then flour for more breakthrough symptoms or in some cases for chronic fatigue patients, there are certain strains or, or chemovars of flower that are good for lifting fatigue or same with mood. So it depends on the patient, of course. But one of the things I'm really looking forward to is more choice in now we have vaporized flower, which is great. I actually really like flower, but it's not so good with patients with arthritis or my older patients who have vision or visually impaired patients. So these products that have a full spectrum vaporized product, but in a vape pen where it's a meter dose makes it a lot easier to prescribe. So we're not quite there yet in the UK, but we're getting there. There's a few parts coming out. They're a lot more expensive currently, but hopefully they won't be you know, down the road. And the other thing that I'd like to see more of is like the quick dissolve um, sublingual strips and things that I've used in Canada, but they're not available yet here. So for patients with digestive disorders, for example, it's really hard for them to tolerate an oil sometimes, even in small amounts, but you still want that long, slightly longer acting form. And a lot of people don't want to inhale something. So I think we're going to see more and more form factors coming out here in the UK, just like we've seen in North America, but the market here is just, it's just a lot more immature. Yeah. And I guess the market in the US and Canada is more recreational driven as well, I suppose. It's more recreational driven, but interestingly, even some of the products that have come out in the recreational market seem to be used by medical users because of the nature of the form factor so there's these new kind of transdermal preparations transdermal patches and if someone wants to get high you're not going to slap on a thc patch probably but if you want really good pain relief for 12 hours and you don't want to have that peak and trough and you want kind of a sustained relief 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 and release method then that's a really good option so a lot of times in the recreational market people they're saying it's recreational, but they're actually self-medicating for a medicinal reason. It's all a form of medication, isn't it? Even a glass of wine, in, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question then. What do you think around the idea of flour? And what's the general feedback from patients? Because And how do they take it? Is it actually smoky? Is that weird as a doctor to be prescribing something that needs to be smoked? 
Yeah, so we always tell our patients, do not ever smoke your flower, always vaporize it. So we want to start usually at the lower end of a vaporizer temperature, you know, 180, 190 degrees Celsius and work their way up. The theory is that the lower temperature, the more vapor comes off without burning any of that hydrocarbon material. So, you know, less harmful things coming off the plant that you don't want. So that's how, how patients use their flower currently. And as far as, you know, patients having issues with flower, they certainly, they can. I have some patients who don't want to use an inhalation route. Or, you know, the dosing sometimes can be a bit tricky. We start with like a... Well, I was going to say dosing must be the, the obvious one, like... Yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's ways to do it. That's a pretty good estimate. So, for example, if you know the percentage THC and CBD content in a flower and you fill your chamber with 0.1 gram, then you can estimate, okay, maybe what a full chamber is going to give you five or six milligrams of THC, for example, and then did you vaporize the whole chamber? You know, how is that? Yeah. So it's an estimate, but it's it's a fairly good way of tracking. And then we have patients track it in, in a tracker. Yeah. And then it's a, they can establish their own dose, I suppose, after a while. Yeah. Exactly. It's a self-titration. Yeah. Cool. Danny, we could have talked for a lot longer. This is super interesting, but great and fantastic work that you're doing. And I look forward to seeing the app when it comes out. Thank you. Appreciate you coming on and you're always welcome back. So I hope to see you again soon. My pleasure. It's lovely to chat with you again. Likewise. Take care. Thank you.